Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. We're glad that you're here. I've enjoyed this song service and the prayer greatly. I hope that you will be edified and drawn closer to God when we finish our lesson this morning. Healing Broken Hearts is the title that I have chosen for the lesson this morning. What a great blessing. Jesus can heal broken hearts that nobody else can fix. And that's why we're a part of this body. Because we want to have a place we can go when there's no other answers. Sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 4, 3. When we sin, we become guilty before God for rebellion. All sin is rebellion against God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need forgiveness. We need freedom from guilt. We need freedom from a, free con from a defiled conscience. And so when we want to change our life and serve God, it involves turning our repentance. Often that comes from the same Greek word. To turn or to repent. You know, when a person's committing sin, they're facing the devil. And they're following the devil wherever he leads. They're not following God when they sin. And so in order to turn and change our life for the better, we've got to turn our back on Satan and turn our face toward God. And when we turn our back on Satan and sin, God is happy to see our look at him. God doesn't want to see our face when we're guilty and enjoying sin. So is your back toward God or Satan this morning? It's... Your back is turned toward one, your face is turned toward the other. When a person is not a child of God, they need to repent, to turn, to change, and be baptized. And that's the way we turn our lives around. When a person is a Christian, and like the prodigal son, they've turned their back on God and they went after the things of the world, they need to repent and pray and get their eyes on God and get Satan behind them. The blood of Jesus cleanses the person who repents and is baptized, and the blood of Christ cleanses the person who repents and turns their life back to God. It's the blood in both instances. And so I wanted to get that before us this morning, how sin works, a little bit of what's involved in that before we get into our lesson. I think about... Jesus, right before he left here in Matthew 24, 23. 
And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee together as a hen gathereth her her children under her, her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Can't you see the pain in his voice? And ye would not. He loved us. He gave himself for us. And like Israel sometimes, we don't want to hear it. We want that out of our life. Jesus was broken hearted when he spoke those words. Sometimes parents are broken hearted when their children turn their back on them. It's a sad day. Helping broken hearted people to heal. Sometimes we're broken down by sin and we must have God's help and forgiveness if we want our life to be good. You can't have a good life when you're broken down and feeling guilty and like no one loves you and God don't love you. David described it this way. He said, sometimes I just stink it up around here with my sin. We need love and sympathy and empathy. We need acceptance and forgiveness. But you know, sometimes in people's guilty state, their mind gets confused and they don't think that God can forgive them. And nothing's further from the truth. Sometimes we're too unforgiving of ourselves. We feel remorse for our sin and sorrow. And what we've done to others is terrible. Sometimes we loathe ourselves and feel guilt-stricken and hate ourselves. And that's when people believe God hates them and that there's nothing that can be done. There was never a greater lie told by Satan then God hates you and God doesn't want you to go to heaven. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies and if you believe that lie, you won't try to change your life. Because you judge God by yourself. I'm unforgiving. God must be unforgiving. No, God is a God of love and mercy and grace and tenderness. So I'd like to turn at this time to where Jesus began his personal ministry in Luke, the uh, fourth chapter in verse number 16. And I, I want you to become really familiar with these verses. You know, I've made the statement several times this year that we're the church of Christ. We need to preach more about Christ. And I'm amazed at the lack of knowledge sometimes that we lack about Jesus and what He told people and what He did for people. In Luke 4 and verse number 16, 
And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it unto the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. And so Jesus possibly was reading from a couple of places in Isaiah. Isaiah 61, the first part of the chapter. And also, I'll come to it in a minute in my notes, another passage in Isaiah. Let's turn over and read that. I think that's important. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath appointed me to preach good tidings unto the, peop unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, he to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he might be glorified. For sure, part of that is what Jesus was quoting over in Luke. Jesus said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. What Isaiah had prophesied would come to pass is beginning to come to pass here this day. This is who I am. I'm the son of the living God. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what my ministry is going to be about. It's to bind up the brokenhearted. You ever know anybody brokenhearted? You been to a funeral lately? We've been to four or five lately. People are crying. People are hurting. Their loved one is gone. You ever know anybody to cry when their mate left them? Or their child's in trouble. You know anybody that is hurting because of their sin? Because of the havoc that they've caused in other people's lives? The hurt that they've caused in other people's lives? And as, David, as God said to David when he committed adultery and murder... He said, you've given my enemies great opportunity to speak against me. 
And when we do things that are very open and people in the public know, the insults to God will come. Yeah, it's okay for your kids to do stuff, just the rest of us can't do it. Well, his, God's children can't do it and get by with it, but they can get forgiveness for it. But you see, Jesus has got an answer for the hurt and the pain and the brokenness. Do you know anyone that's struggling with sin and addiction? Are you aware of anyone that's been beat up by life's circumstances and Satan? Maybe you're in that category this morning. And your heart's aching. You're not, you feel like people don't like you. Maybe you're ashamed. And you don't want to talk to anybody. If they're followers of Jesus, they want to talk to you. They want to comfort you. And tell you that it can be okay. Jesus can heal any situation. It says to comfort all that mourn. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's His promise to you. Nobody can cancel that promise. Nobody can alter that promise. It's His promise to you if you're a Christian. I will give them beauty for ashes. In the Old Testament, when they mourned the loss of their loved ones, They built a fire and they got the ashes. They put on sackcloth. I'm not sure what sackcloth is. I think of a toe sack when I read that. And they would rub those ashes all over them and get that toe sack wrapped around them and they would mourn for their loved ones. I think that's probably what he has reference to here. The mourning. The hurt. And he said... I will give them beauty for ashes. I don't, I don't have a good picture, a pretty picture in my mind when I think of someone sitting in those ashes. But I get a beautiful picture in my mind when I think about Jesus. And he said, I want to give you rest. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you hope. This is not the end of your world. It's a trial that you must bear at this time. But it's going to be better. Is that not good news? That he's going to replace their guilty conscience with joy. 
You've got to forgive yourself. If Jesus forgives you, you've got to forgive yourself. And you can't keep playing that old record. That record belongs to Satan. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Nobody loves you. God don't love you. You don't love yourself. You're guilty. You can't serve God that way. You don't have any energy. You don't have any life. I want to tell you something. The blood of Jesus completely removes sin. Jesus didn't partially heal anybody. He didn't partially raise Lazarus from the dead. He finished the job. And when Jesus forgives you, you're justified. And the word justified is a legal term that's used in the courts. And when you are accused of a crime and you go in the court and they try you, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to be determined as guilty or justified. One of the two. And if the judge says you're justified, you're not guilty anymore. Someone says that word should be translated or transliterated just as if I'd never sinned. And that's what happens when the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sins. Psalms 103 and verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath the Lord removed our transgressions from us. In Romans 8 and 1, Paul said, There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You can't say that about somebody who doesn't have the blood of Jesus. They are guilty. But when we become a Christian and we become a member of the body of Christ, we can have justification. We can have our sin forgiven. In another place, he said he removed our sins as far as it is, as far as the east is from the west. That's good news. That's good news that we need to hear. Another illustration that was used by Isaiah. Smoking, I can't quote that one just this minute. But the, but the scripture describes a lamp. It's got a wick in there. It goes down in that oil. And it just keeps burning at the top until it sucks all of the oil out. But sometimes those wicks might get a little short and get top heavy and flip over. And that would, put the, that would put the fire out. And it just sat there and smoke in that oil. And just stink up a house. But it says in the scripture. Well let me say what they did with those. Most of the time they just take, took one of those wicks and went to the door. And just threw it as far as they could to get it out of the house. Quit stinking up things. 
But in Isaiah, he said, that's not the way the Lord works. He takes that wick and cuts that char off of it and sets it upright. And it begins to give light in all the house again. It may have been in darkness for a little while, but it can give light again when God fixes it. I want you to ask yourself this morning, can I identify with these things that Jesus is talking about? Can that be good news and joy to my heart? Absolutely. That's why we're Christians. Because that's what He's about. People most of the time just threw those wicks away. They won't even more to do with them. I want to tell you what, there are no throwaway Christians. We throw away water bottles when the water's gone. We're through with them. We have no more use for them. There are no throwaway Christians with God. When that person repents and turns to God, they are forgiven. They are restored. They are comforted. And our role is to love them and show love toward them so that they can be restored. A person who doubts about where they stand with the other members cannot feel completely forgiven. They just can't. They just can't. They can't be a good worker for God. They can't be good for themselves. They can't be good for other people because they're mired in the mud of guilt. Until that person is completely healed... They're going to need help and not hindrance from others. They need our empathy. They need our sympathy. And brothers and sisters, every one of us gets a turn in every one of these roles. Whether it's forgiver or forgiven. Another thing that he said in that prophecy... was that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. When a person like the prodigal son goes out into the world, who's glorified? It's certainly not God. When He's restored, who's glorified? God. Still the same person. His past didn't go away. He's just not guilty of that anymore because God forgives him. 
You know, the world wants to remember everybody's past. They want to keep bringing that up, and wallowing it around, parading it before others. Sometimes Christians do that, don't they? Yeah. What a sad day. God's not glorified by that. But when somebody messed up, messed up bad, and they come back to God, and they humble themselves to God, who's glorified? Not the devil. Not the devil. You see, devil thought he'd got one that wasn't going to get away. Boy, he's got that big old chain of guilt wrapped around them good. But if they can get loose from that chain and restore themselves to God and begin to do the right things, God allows everybody the chance to start over. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when a person comes into the church, some churches vote on whether they're going to let that person be a member of the church or not. I've not found anything like that in the Scripture. Have you? You see, God alone has the right to determine who can be in the church. And Jesus said, Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will. When the prodigal son came home and the angels of heaven were rejoicing, the older brother says, No, he shouldn't be allowed to come back. He shouldn't be allowed to come back. No way. He wasted our hard-earned money on harlots and booze and living it up. He shouldn't be able to come back. Let me tell you something. The older son was not the boss. The father was. The father was. And that older son, even though he did a lot of things right, and he really did, He said, Father, I've served you all these many years. I've done what you said to do. That's true of quite a few, that's true of all Christians if they're living right. But that didn't give them the right to judge who could and could not be in the family. That wasn't their choice. David really messed up when he committed adultery and when he committed murder. I, you know, I've often thought about Uriah's kinfolks. 
and how this affected them. You ever thought about that? How that affected them? It affected them a lot. Whether he was a, a brother or a cousin, an uncle. I'm sure they had a lot of choice words to say about God. We need to be very careful and we need to think about the consequences of our sin before we wander off into the world, folks. But our God loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It's not a fickle love. It's not an on and off love. An everlasting love. In Ezekiel 18, God goes through a long discussion in that whole chapter about when people are serving Him and when they turn and they go out into the world and when they turn and when they come back. And He says, The Father shall not bear the iniquity of the Son. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father. There's a lot of good stuff in Ezekiel 18. But God says in that chapter, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. breaks his heart. No pleasure. You see, God sent his most precious thing, his son, to die on the cross for us. Nothing else would pay the penalty for sin. I can't understand that kind of love that God had. But that's what had to happen in order for you and I to have any chance at heaven. Took the death of His precious Son the only person on this earth who ever lived without sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. The only one who deserved not to die died the most cruel, the most humiliating, the most painful death known to man. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I promise you, there may be a lot of businesses in this town, there may be a lot of banks, there may be a lot of important people, but there's nowhere you can go to get forgiveness of sin and a clear conscience. Nowhere. I'm going to take just a few more minutes. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn over to Psalms 32. I want to go through this chapter. It's, it's such a powerful chapter.
Nathan comes to David and tells him a story of a man that had one little sheep, and that's the only one he had. And his neighbor had company come in, so he went over and took that man's sheep. He didn't want to use his own sheep. He used that man's sheep to feed his company. Oh, David's heart was stirred. He was angry. He said, you point out the man. We'll take care of him. No mercy. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. He doesn't leave it on his account. He marks it paid. In whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. That's what we're talking about this morning. He was hurting, folks. He was hurting. He felt pain in his bones from the guilt of what he'd done. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My conscience was eating me alive. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. We know something about drought of summer, don't we? And these little plants are just curl up and die and become crispy. I acknowledge my sin. He was silent. Now he's going to talk about when he acknowledged his sin. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I no longer hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. That's why he could say those two verses up there at the top. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Because God did that for him. Verse 6 says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall come nigh unto thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. <laughs> David had met, a, had met an enemy he could not conquer. But God gave him songs of deliverance to replace. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. He had God's instruction. He had the prophets. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest I come near unto thee. Stubborn. Rebellious. I don't know why he didn't put goats in there, but he didn't. He did at the judgment. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. You can't commit sin without sinning against yourself and bringing sorrow in your life. That's what sin, that's the fruit of sin is sorrow. Many sorrows, verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Many. 
many. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Our God is alive. Our God is merciful. He's tender. Be glad in the Lord. I've covered these scriptures this morning. Hopefully, to help each one here. Because you're going to have some low times in life. I've covered these scriptures this morning because this is what our neighbors need to hear. The gospel means good news. What we've read this morning is good news for those who listen to God. Good news. I'm going to tell you when I first completely understood this passage. I was holding a meeting in Vernon, Texas. Went out and studied with these people after services at night till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I thought they were really, really liking what they heard. Come Sunday morning, they didn't show up. And I was so disappointed. Went to church that night. We finished. I stayed around. I always did when I was holding meetings. Try to stay around and visit with people who came. If they, if they came, I appreciated it. And uh, I went out to get in my car and I looked up and there was a car behind mine where I couldn't get out. And I thought, well, I wonder what that is. But anyway, I visited a couple more people and went on to get in my car and I got out there and as I was getting close, well, this couple got out both doors of their car and came toward me. They had gone to church somewhere else that morning they called this preacher aside and they had asked him about the scriptures that we had been studying all week. And he had a lot of ugly things to say about the church of Christ. And they said, he never said one bad word about you. And I was being accused of that. He never did that. You don't know what you're talking about. And we don't want anything to do with this church. And they came to church where I was holding the meeting that night. But she still wasn't completely convinced. And we were standing there talking. I said, why don't we go down to Dairy Queen and get something to drink? And we went to the Dairy Queen. And we studied till they closed. And we went outside and we talked a while and I said, Folks, <laughs> I'm really tired and I've got a three-hour drive to get back home. 
And if you want to be baptized, I want to help you do that tonight. And if not, I'll come back later in the week and we'll study some more. She said, I think I'm ready. I had to go look one of the members up and get a key, get back. <laughs> I didn't get away from there until nearly midnight. But I want to. I won't tell you what she said when we came out of the building. She said, Brother Jay, would it be all right if I give a little shout? And I said, you just go right ahead. That's what David did. That's what David did. She really knew the joy of her salvation. And I hope we're reminded of that by these scriptures. And I want to tell you, if you're going to go talk to people, I've done a lot of thinking in my 70s about what I've been doing for the last 50 years. We've, bought, we've brought a lot of bad news to people. Hey, you ought to be happy I'm here. I've come to tell you how bad a person you are and how bad your preacher is and how bad your family is. Folks, that's not the good news. This is the good news. This is the good news. We need to share with people what they, can, what they can have, what they can enjoy, what they can appreciate, what will enhance their lives. And that's what we need to be sharing with people. There's not anybody that can't talk about these scriptures. And what they mean. Last Sunday, I went down by Tractor Supply. I wanted to get a watermelon. And there was a little girl down there in the next pickup, and she was selling corn. And I walked over there and started talking to her, and I asked her if she was a Christian. She said she was, and um, she was from South Africa. And she's dating a guy at Cotton Center. And um, I asked her if she'd like to study the Bible. She said, the Bible, it's just so complicated. It's just, you can't understand it. It's just so complicated. And I started shaking my head. I don't usually do that, but for some reason I did. I just started shaking my head. No, and she looked at me and she said, why are you saying it so, why, why are you shaking your head? I said, it takes preachers to make the Bible complicated. It's not complicated. I said, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 11 that talks about the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Well, she said, I think it's kind of complicated. I said, I will admit there's some things in the Bible that are more complicated than others. But I said, that corn right there you, you, do you know anything about seed? And she said, oh yeah, we raised that corn. We had to plant the seed. And I said, was that complicated? And I said, now you've got it in the ear and in a sack and you're selling it. Is, is that complicated? Jesus talked about a man that went forth to sow seed. He talked about corn. Is that complicated? 
She says, well, no, not really. I said, would you study the Bible with me? We'll see if we can uncomplicate some of that. And she said, oh, yeah. I said, well, you probably better ask your fiancé because he may not want me to be studying with you. But I said, if you want to study, I'd be very happy to study the Scriptures with you. Is there anybody here in this room this morning that couldn't do what I did? People in Plainview, Texas know about corn seed. And the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. These are the things we need to talk to people about, things that they can understand that are simple. The lesson is yours this morning. Are you hurting? Are you sad? Do you feel guilty? Guilt doesn't go away by itself. Sadness don't go away by, by itself. You have to make decisions for that to happen. Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're seeking rest from problems in your life, Jesus said He'd give it to you if you come this morning as we stand and sing.